Hello and welcome to the latest episode of When Sky Invented Football, the podcast that thinks it's a fanzine. With me, Adrian Goldberg, founder of Britain's first national football fanzine, Off the Ball in 1985, and John Nicholson, author of Can We Have Our Football Back, a modern blockbuster. How are you doing, John? I'm doing great, thanks, Adrian. Very good. Great to speak to you as always. And joining us, pair of malcontents, Matt Jones, the writer of the blog, Mitch Cook's Left Foot. He penned a brilliant piece about what he described as the contrick of the final Sunday of the Premier League season in a piece that name-checks The One Show, William S. Burroughs and the BBC Scottish football correspondent Roddy Forsyth. Only one of those people made a career out of imbibing Class A drugs. <laughs> Matt, how are you doing? You are right? Yeah, I'm all good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed your work over a, a period of many months now and uh, great to have you on. And I want to start today with a call to arms, a demand or at the very least a polite request for a revolution in football. I should stress right from the outset that this is not a backward looking call. As I've said before, I started a fanzine in the 80s precisely because there was so much wrong with the game but I loved it at the same time. So I want progress, a sport that feels in touch with modern ideas, that is unafraid of technology, but which also embraces the romanticism that football should enshrine, but which at the top level it has lost. The spirit of competition drowned out by the wads of cash being dropped on the table, as someone once said in another context, money doesn't talk, it screams and shouts in football, and it's like a rust corroding the pipework of a brilliant sport until all the fun drip drip drips away so today i want to imagine a better football world overseen by a new organization because let's face it the fa has proved pretty impotent in the face of the changes that have gone on in the game so let's call it i don't know the ffa the fans football association i think at the moment football has effectively become a sport like rugby with two quite distinct codes There's the bloated, self-satisfied world of the super clubs in which oligarchs and kleptocrats and oil states wage war on the football pitches of Europe. They have drinks breaks every 20 minutes, yawn. They have nine-man benches and five subs. They have endless tedious interruptions for VAR because there's so much at stake. They kick off whenever it suits the suits in the offices of the broadcasters. Then there's the game of football enjoyed by the rest of us. Simple, direct, something that everyone can understand. It looks something like the championship, where every club has a chance of winning every game. But you'd make it even more competitive with salary caps. Every club would have to be 51% owned by its fans. An idea so radically communist, it's been adopted by Germany. VAR would be chucked in the bin, but not goal line technology, which is beautiful and simple. There would be, at most, three subs, but maybe just one. Why ever not? Because then the manager has to pick the right team from the start. I should stress that no club in the world will be forced to adopt this code of football my code of football. But there is a choice. You could be with them or you could be with us. Go on then, Matt. Go on then, John. Discuss. Well, I think that was almost poetic, Adrian. That was uh, <laughs> that was fantastic. It was a stream of consciousness rant against the, um, the state of football at the current time. 
the core problem with all of this, and when we talk about revolution and when we talk about changing football, the core issue, and it's a simple thing to understand, is money. And this is where all of the uh, evil stems from. It is the wealth in the game derived from TV rights. And uh, before that existed, the wealth in the game derived from the fans going to games. And I don't see that anything is necessarily massively improved by everybody earning £150,000 a week. It's still just playing football. It is completely warped and distorted the whole culture around the game. It has turned it, as I said previously, into shopping rather than sport. It has made people avaricious and greedy. It has turned what was essentially a working-class sport into kind of high finance, dominated by accountants and agents. It hasn't brought us anything that has improved the game. People will say, well, now the best players in the world play here. A, that's contentious. B, I don't care. I really don't care who's playing the football. I want it to be competitive and exciting and silly and clumsy and skillful and be played out on a bobbly pitch, not on a carpet. I don't want what the money has brought. And I think you're absolutely right. I think the time is coming. We want to divide it. Which code do you want? Do you want the uh, slick one? Uh, costs a fortune, where players are paid vast amounts of money, or do you want the realistic one, which is part of uh, the uh, uh, civic welfare and community that clubs are born into? Which one do you want? You can't have both now. It's either money or it's sense. I'm going with sense. Well, I think I'm going to dive in and, and, and look at a slightly different um, angle. Adrian, you talked about... Uh, ridiculous communist ideas there and it's something I've, I've thought in the last few months as I've been writing and sort of thinking more deeply about the game is um you know the justification for all this as John points out so eloquently is money you know it's money it's and people say oh it's just business and I kind of think about capitalism in general about society in general and I think about the effect that monopolies have on on our on our on our everyday lives you know we've we've got a monopoly in football we've got five six seven clubs at most who monopolize everything if you look at the facts they monopolize everything if you look at the last 20 years even the last 30 years it's the same clubs with the same things who qualify for the set the champions league year after year and their their position is perpetuated by the prize money they win it's effectively a monopoly or a cartel and Cut out of that is everybody else. And if you look at the high street, something kind of similar is going on. You look at every town, it's the same shops, it's the same businesses, it's the same chain cafes. And we're told that football's a competition and we're told that society, well, it's a capitalist society, it's a competition. And, you know, if you, if you work hard enough, you can get somewhere. It's a meritocracy. But it isn't because if if you if I decide now if I decide to leave my job and go and set up a a, a cafe a record shop a, a a motor mechanics whatever I'm competing against established businesses that are often multinational businesses that I cannot possibly compete with it doesn't matter how good I am at my business it doesn't matter how hard I work it doesn't matter how I how well I treat my customers, I'm starting so far back against those businesses that I'm, I, you know, the odds are stacked against me. And football seems to have exactly that problem that exists within society. And I'm not arguing for complete dismantling of capitalism, or maybe I am, but I'm, I'm not, that's not my point. My point is that from whatever perspective you look at 
football. You know, if you look at it from sort of a, a radical idealist lefty perspective, then it's lost all its community values. But if you actually look at it from a kind of pure right wing perspective, it's not competitive. It's not. It, it's just big clubs, monopolies destroying little clubs, if you like. And and I think that's something that people miss out on a lot. It isn't actually a competition and it should be. Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic point, Matt. Uh, um, very well made. I think a delusion that we have about football or we're sold about football is the same one, as you say, as we're sold about the economic system on which society is based, which is, you know, that, that kind of, you, everybody can get on and move up sort of idea. And, uh, you know, that's a, that is simply isn't true. And as you say, it's it's kind of like football and the high street and everything, the whole structure of society seems based on the same principle, which is it benefits a tiny elite and everybody works for that tiny elite and everybody makes that tiny elite richer and richer at the expense of our own welfare. And that seems to be exactly mirrored in football. I mean, exactly mirrored. The parallels between how unfair societies and how unfair football is are absolutely exact to the point where the richer you get the more money you get just for being rich so now you get 150 million quid for being in the premier league and you don't have to do anything for that you just have to be there you know and then you can earn money on top of that and it seems to me an exact parallel between this kind of extreme hyper capitalism which says if you go against it that if you oppose it then you're somehow like a really bad person who is denying other people freedom. And uh, it, you know, it's just not the case. The reason I've proposed a, a different kind of structure as well is that at the moment, if you're not happy with how it is, you could imagine a world in which you just said to the big six in England, go on then, sodger, go off, and you go and play with your Real Madrids and Barcelonas, uh, and you can have your top level of football and we'll accept being lower down in the pyramid I don't think that's good enough because inevitably all the good players all the best players in the the second tier as it were will be picked off by the top clubs what I'm proposing is a completely different football culture if you start with the 51% fan ownership from there everything else flows you say okay we want television of coverage of football. Television is not intrinsically evil, but we want a better balance between the interests of fans and the interests of broadcasters. I always point out an example whereby on, this was about three seasons ago, when West Brom, my team, were in the Premier League. And on December the 22nd, there was a round of midweek matches when West Brom played away at Newcastle. Now, in what well-ordered universe where you care about fans do you ask supporters from the black country to travel to Newcastle on a Tuesday night for a game which, of course, you can watch on Sky? And the truth is you're not going to go and do that travelling because TV makes it easier for you. And that, to me, is the foregrounding of the interests of commercialism, the foregrounding of the interests of the television companies over the interests of supporters. So I certainly wouldn't say no television cameras. That would be absurd in the modern age. But the balance, the, the choices that are made are made in conjunction with and are dependent on the approval of supporters instead of at the moment where we're just told 
this is how it is. I should say as well, television brings a lot of money to football. It's a professional sport. That's one of the reasons that that originally there was this split between the FA and the Football League in back in 1888. People should be able to make good money from being entertainers. I think that the world of football that I'm outlining would allow people to be wealthy, to make good money out of playing football and, and out of running football, but they wouldn't have the gargantuan, almost obscene levels of wealth that the current setup allows and encourages. Well, I did some maths on one of the pieces I wrote. I took Burnley as a model because Burnley are often cited as sort of the archetype of the well-run club. I did some research looking up average wages and the kind of stuff that the the Price of Football podcast puts out. And I worked out that the average wage at Burnley was about 28 grand a week. So I sort of did the thought experiment about what what would happen if every player in the Premier League was played 28 grand a week. And we'd save enough money in the game that you wouldn't actually have to have anybody pay through the turnstiles for two years. That, that, that was that was the maths I came up with. And obviously it was back of the fag packet maths, but I kind of took a, a, an assumption that the entire, every everybody in every game had paid about 25, 30 quid to get in there. And how much money would be saved by suppressing the wages to £28,000 a week? You know, that was, that's astonishing. You know, when people say, oh, well, you know, we, people have got a right to go make good money. The money is so insane. You know, twenty eight thousand pounds a week. I mean, I, I've 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 got a a job that I feel that I'm reasonably lucky to have, and certainly, you know, I haven't earned twenty eight thousand pounds a year some years. And you know, talking about suppressing the wages to that level, as it, it hardly seems radical. So I think that that's without doubt a starting point, bringing the wages down. And obviously, I don't want to sound too sycophantic, but John's book puts that that case across in a way that is 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 virtually incontestable but i mean a town like burnley seriously and i mean no disrespect to burnley this would be true of of west bromwich as well the number of people in these dyed in the wool football towns where people earn twenty eight thousand pound a year the idea that anyone gets 28 grand a week for kicking a ball around and it's an idea you and i have touched on before john we're often told, well, you know, the players generate the wealth. They have earned it. Well, no, they haven't. Because, as you've said, just by being in the Premier League, as, as my team West Brom will be and as Burnley will be next season, you're given the money. The money is there. So if you are a, I don't know, a, a third-rate left-back who happens to be at West Brom, automatically your wages will be boosted commensurate with the status of the club, but you're not Ronaldo, you're not Messi, you just got lucky. I think the problem here, um, and this is what we're up against trying to fundamentally change attitudes, is that the Premier League was set up to make money for an elite group of clubs, and it's done that brilliantly. But it, it constantly, over the last 28 years, has marketed itself to us in a way which has altered a whole generation's view of what football is and about the money in football to the point where people will say, oh, he's on good money, 
and that will mean a hundred thousand pounds a week. Now, to me, good money <laughs> is fifty grand a year, right? That's what good money means. Yeah, seventy, 70 grand a year puts you a year puts you in the top five percent earners. A hundred and forty thousand a year puts you in the top one percent of earners. And you know the idea that this is isn't. Um, isn't expressed with the right language anymore. We there is no perspective about it. It's like as though we're talking about something um, in society which you know there is a parallel to, but there simply isn't. And you have the other hoary old argument, which is that well, it's a short career. It isn't a short career. Everybody now has to retrain just about every five years for a job. There is no jobs for life anymore. If you're playing football for 20 years, almost nobody has a job for 20 years, the same job for 20 years anymore. And also, even were it true that it was a short career, you might get injured when you're 25, what's wrong with working for the rest of your life? What gives footballers the right to somehow live off this vast wealth and, you know, just play PlayStation for the rest of their lives, or golf. I mean, I heard uh, Jonathan Barnett, who's um, uh, Gareth Bale's agent, saying it was his ambition that a footballer should never have to work again once he'd retired, and the excuse is Bale earning £600,000 a week net, by the way, net, so that he can just go swan around and play golf. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the word I use about this, and it's a word not used enough in football, is it's immoral. We have to have moral standards. If we don't have moral standards, we're just living in a nihilistic, immoral world where anything goes. And that's really what I think about this. these sort of levels of money. And as Matt has said perfectly in some of his pieces, the other thing about it is it distances you from players. They seem protected from the real world by the tinted windows of privilege. And... Um, I don't think that's good for the game. I think that's uh, that has enabled abuse culture, which is something else that I know that we've talked about and we're really, really interested in. Because I think once people just become this distant people up on the hill, some people feel as if they're able to just say and do anything towards them, you know, because they seem almost not real, almost not human anymore because of the money. I think that's an excellent point, and I think it's something that I've noticed. I mean, I'm a Blackpool fan for my sins, so, you know, we're not necessarily dealing with the Messis and the Ronaldos every week at Bloomfield, but I've followed Blackpool for about 30 years, and I I think we, even at our level, we hold our players in much less affection than we once did. You know, my blog's named after Mitch Cook, who is a, you know, is, is, a, is a sort of a legend at Scarborough and Blackpool and a, and a couple of other non-league clubs. But he's, he's really a, a sort of fairly average lower league left-back that tried hard and, and had quite a good left foot. You know, he's a bit of a cult hero kind of player. And I remember when, when I kind of fell in love with football in the late 80s and early 90s, there was an affection for the players and, and it felt like we loved them despite their weaknesses. You know, obviously people grumbled about, you know, when somebody kicked it out of play or, but now even when I'm at Bloomfield and particularly online after games, you'll find somebody's made a mistake, you know, somebody's not tracked a man and the, the, the abuse and the derision that's thrown at these players. And actually the, the, the truth of football is a player on a pitch 
over a course of 46 games is actually going to make some mistakes. Every goalkeeper is going to, you know, they're going to come for the cross that they shouldn't have come from. A central defender will from time to time lose their man. A striker will miss. That happens. But we seem to become so impatient and so bad-tempered as football fans. And that's even sort of crept into League One, League Two football, where people are snapping at players and yelling abuse at them for... For, for simply for being footballers. And I think the game is is sadder for that. You know, I, I, I don't, I think it's a less pleasant experience to watch for that because we lose the humour and you lose the, as you as you say, the, the, the affection and the connection we have with the players because they seem less human and we expect the impossible of them. I think that's partly a function of social media as well, which seems to allow and even encourage this kind of negativity. After West Brom got promoted the other night, I saw that Sam Johnston, the goalkeeper, who's been an ever-present, I think, for the last two seasons, had to deal with somebody online who had snarked at him in, in the hours after winning promotion. But that, I think, feeds back into the terraces as well and into the stands where people then start taking that social media negativity into the ground. I just want to look a little bit at the the nature of football as well, because I think this is a key part of the argument that I'm making, that one of the beauties of football is that globally it has grown because it is a simple and really easy to understand sport, unlike, for example, Rugby Union, which I've never got on with, maybe partly for reasons of class, but Rugby Union in particular has always seemed to me to be a petty, technical kind of game that you've got to have some kind of degree to understand all the rules and the infractions, and it really isn't straightforward. Football is. And you've got to have your balls pulled by people, which is very unpleasant. <laughs> uh, I've never understood a sport which is getting fondled by public school boys. It's not my idea of a good time. Not unless I've paid for it anyway. <laughs> that, can happen. that can happen in football if you're playing against Vinnie Jones. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but you think, well, football has come to be what it is because it's really clear, it's really simple, and it's fast, and it, it doesn't stop. Now, all of the changes that have emerged in recent times, whether it's VAR, whether it's the drinks break, which has crept in, and who knows, may continue now after the coronavirus lockdown time, these changes take the speed out of the game, they take the continuity out of the game, the number of substitutions destroys the continuity of the game and actually makes the product, for me as a fan, much less enjoyable. And again, I'm positing a world in which we say, okay, we start and we go through and if the referee makes a mistake, we have to accept that. If there's too much at stake because of a referee's decision, that's because you've put too much at stake. You shouldn't be ruining essentially a simple game because of the rewards that are theoretically on offer. I see all of this as part of the commodification of footballers and of football in general. It's an interesting concept, the commodification of people. I think it's a Marxist concept, uh, whereby people stop being people stop being humans and start being units of production. And uh, and I think that we can tell that this has happened in football because if anything ever goes wrong, if a player boots it out or misses a goal, whatever it is, one of the first criticisms will be, he earns all that money and 
dot, 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 isn't it? And that shows us that the first thing now that comes into our mind about footballers is money. So they have been commodified totally. They have become a £50 million striker, not human anymore. And uh, that I think this extends totally to what you were just saying, Adrian, about how much is at stake all the time. Again, that's part of the commodification because the first thing people will say was, well, you know, if we didn't have the technology we and if the referee made that mistake and they lost the game and then that's worth £50 million to them in whatever, you know, because they've got relegated or whatever. And you think, but this is sport. It's sport, isn't it? It's it's not money, it's not finance, it's sport. <laughs> well, I, maybe I didn't articulate it very well, but I suppose what I'm saying is reduce the stakes, don't reduce the game. And yeah. that's what's happened. The game yes. has been reduced as the stakes have got higher. Well, 100%. It's, 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 you know, and fans talk about that too, as Johnny said. You know, I, I, I sit next to sort of Premier League fans at work and, and so on. And, they, you know, they, they talk about they talk about it like it's high finance. They talk about it like it's sort of reviewing the, the FT rather than reviewing the game <laughs> that took place. But I've got a slight conspiracy theory on VAR, which is, um, <laughs> which is one of my great passions is football on the radio. Because as I said before, I, I got into football in the, in the late eighties. And when I was younger, I very rarely got taken to matches. So, and football wasn't on the telly. It was on, you know, sort of once every couple of weeks on ITV, if I remember correctly. And so therefore, to fill, to get my football fix, I had to listen to football on the radio. And I used to listen to where I lived. You could pick up Radio City in Liverpool. You could obviously get Radio Lancashire. You could get Radio um, GMR. You could get um, the commentary on Radio 2. And so, you know, you could hear all sorts of football. And as, a, as you said before, Adrian, it's a simple game. It's the best game. You know, it, it's it's global and everybody plays it. It takes about five minutes to learn. And it translates brilliantly on the radio because it's so simple and, and it's so easy to describe. Now, VAR on the radio is the worst thing ever. Now, my conspiracy theory is football depends on subscription television. And if you essentially make the game hopeless on radio you introduce this finickety technical detail that relies on you being able to sort of participate in the experience it relies on you being able to to see these split you know split millimeter decisions on replays then you just cut out of the you just cut out the loop and i found myself this season i don't think i've actually managed to follow a full premier league commentary on the radio because inevitably at some point comes this complete disruption this complete lull and this thing that i'm totally cut out of i mean obviously lots of people have talked about how it's it's a crap experience when you're at the ground i don't know i've not i've not been to a premier league game with var but on the radio it's just pointless and 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 then i, I kind of end up switching off and I'm left with, if I want to join the party, I've got to pay the subscription. I can no longer think, well, I don't need to pay the subscription. I'll just listen to Five Live or Talk Sport. So that's my conspiracy theory on VAR. It's it's kind of designed to kill the radio. Matt, it's really interesting because, you know, whether the conspiracy theory has got anything <laughs> to it, it, it unquestionably makes the fan at home better informed and the receiver of a, a kind of more accurate impression 
of what's gone on on the pitch than somebody inside the stadium. Okay. And it, it hands over, it transfers power from the fans in the stadium and, and the event in the stadium, and it transfers that to the broadcasters and the viewer at home. Well, I, I was the, one of the few games of football I've, I've watched all the way through not involving Blackpool was the um, Shrewsbury-Liverpool Cup tie. And I was just apoplectic after that. Because uh, if I remember rightly, Shrewsbury went in front in about... I can't remember when, let's say it was 40 minutes and they went absolutely mental. It was brilliant. You know, as a Blackpool fan seeing a, uh, I think we'd played Shrewsbury a couple of weeks before. And, you know, so I'd got a little bit of a connection with them and seeing them going, going absolutely wild in the ground and, you know, heads gone down and, and Liverpool players. And it was a fantastic moment. And then, and then it was just taken away and, and it just, I, I just, I can't understand why removing that moment? That's the point of football. Football is an absurd act. It's ridiculous. It's 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 a it's a pantomime. It's it's whatever it is. You know, it's just some blokes kicking a ball around, and you take away the very point of the game that that moment of celebration of of somebody kicking a ball over the line. You take that away, and you analyze it, and you dissect it, and you you work it all out to make sure that it's technically correct. It's just soulless crap. You know what? I am an old punk rocker, Matt. I confess this. John John tends to the heavy rock in the uh, you know the more the more traditional rock. I'm I'm a punk rocker, and I can remember a piece in Melody Maker. I was very young at the time. This would have been sometime around 1976 or 77. And a guy called Richard Williams coined the phrase dinosaurs of rock. And it was just at the point when the pistols were starting to emerge, but Pink Floyd was still selling out Earl's Court with their giant inflatables and these incredible light shows. And it was the it was kind of peak spinal tap. And it was the moment in which that old world of rock had finally reached its point of redundancy. That's not to say that Pink Floyd aren't a great old rock band, which they are. But there was just something about the way in which music had got to before punk rock, when it needed the cleaning out of the stables. It had become too self-obsessed, too self-important, too bloated. And VAR, to me, is that Earl's Court Pink Floyd moment for football when television will become so self-obsessed with, with the fine detail. And yet, come on! The discourse around it is just depressing. You have, you know, radio phonings can be a bit depressing at the best of times, but you have people ringing up to talk about how the referee should have spoken to the other referee and the way the other <laughs> referee interprets that. And this, and it yeah. just becomes, what is the point in this? You're, you're spot on with that. The best moment of the season for me this year for us was, um, we've got a player called Joe Nuttall and he fulfills the criteria we talked about before. We actually paid some money for him. We don't know exactly how much from Blackburn. And he came in with a bit of an expectation because he played a few games in the championship. And, you know, I always I always try and be polite about the players. I think it's fair to say that Joe Nuttall hasn't quite lived up to expectations. He's, he scored the grand total of two goals this year. And the best moment of the season was we played Bolton um, 
in about February. And there's there's quite a lot of historic needle between Blackpool and Bolton. There's some not very pleasant things in the history between Blackpool and Bolton, which I won't go into. And Bolton obviously have been awful this year. And in, in, in our unique way, we managed to conspire to be drawing 1-1 with them. That You know, this team that everybody else has beaten 6-0. We were drawing 1-1. In the in about the ninety second minute, and they'd equalise in about the ninety first minute. So you know, a typical Blackpool. And then who pops up to score at the far post? But Joe Nuttall, and he runs straight into the stand, and the whole of the North Stand piled down, and all the lads at the front are hugging him, and he's and and, and there's a there's a picture of him with he's got this. Two lads have got their arms around him. He's just buried in, in the chest of these of these fans. The rest of the team are running round. And that's the point. It doesn't matter if your shoelace was, shoelace was offside. If you take that moment of ecstasy away, then what's the point? It's not. If, if you want to experience some kind of technical perfection, then get into chess or, or dressage or something. And I'm not being sarcastic. You know, watch dressage if you want perfection. That's the point of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Actually, football played uh, by horses doing dressage. That that'll be. You can you can imagine all these stat boys all sitting at home looking. Oh look at that! That's uh, that's the third loop down. Oh and oh look, it's it's you know it'd be like um a, like a pantomime horse. No, it's. Honestly, I think um, there is just people who are obsessed by this side of things. You know, they want everything to be perfect, to be right. I think it's part of, I wrote a bit about this today, actually, it's part of stat culture. People want to be able to prove what's right and wrong with statistics. And it's the same attitude towards, well, if offside's offside, and it's like waggy, waggy finger, oh, we look, his toes offside. You can't argue with the law, but you bloody can. It's like, it's a sport, it isn't technical drawing you know and i think we lose the humanity and i i genuinely think it doesn't seem to have occurred to the people in charge that the you're killing the goose that's laying the golden eggs by doing this and um you know it won't happen overnight but people will just leave the sport at the top level you know what goes with this year the championship is not only as it always is has been easily easily the most exciting league and i think it's reminded some people a, it doesn't have VAR, but B, that not knowing who's going to win the game before it starts is fundamental to football. Yeah, although, John, although John, there is something slightly depressing as well, I think, because I've grown up with the notion that people like to see competition. Actually, they don't, do they? A lot of fans want to see Christians against Lions, and they're on the side of the Lions. Man City fans yeah. turn out in their tens of thousands, and I'm not picking on them particularly. Yesterday, why would you go to see Man City Norwich? Well, obviously, you're a City fan. You go to watch You go to watch your team, but Man City Norwich, you know you're going to get a pummeling of the relegated team. Exactly. I told my daughter before the game, I said, Man City will win that 8-0. Norwich will put us some stout resistance. They'll go a goal or two behind, and then the floodgates will open. It wasn't quite eight, it was five. But, you know, the, it, it's it's ridiculous, isn't it? No, but you see, but, but, you know, most, most football, in terms of when we talk about it on the TV, is played out to neutrals. 
in the stadium, clearly it's played out to people who want their side to win. And football as a popular entertainment on the TV and radio is largely experienced by neutrals. So that's they're the, those are the people who are funding the game who actually want it to be competitive and not to be, as um, Matt said earlier, a kind of moneyed cabal who always uh, win the prizes. In terms of the idea I'm putting forward on this, Matt, you know, uh, I've always assumed, as most people do, I suppose, that, you know, you only want one world governing body. And as a kid growing up, we used to laugh at uh, at boxing, for example, where there used to be, you know, there'd be the World Boxing Association, then there'd be the World Boxing Council, then there'd be the Council of World Boxing, you know, and you'd have all these ridiculous titles. What I'm trying to project here is, is... that there should be two codes of football. And if you want that shite, if you want that VAR rubbish, if you want to see Man City playing Real Madrid in in some sterile competition in the Bernabeu, go ahead. What I'm trying to say is let's gather around an idea of an alternative football world, one which is achievable, one which which can unite us all as fans. And, and we might argue about the details. That's great. I haven't got all the answers. But where we can say, that's that's that sport over there. If you want to support that, fine, go ahead. This is this sport. But we have to have a set of rules around it to, to protect it from that sport. One of those would be 51% ownership. Another one might be VAR. But it becomes a separate sport because I don't like that sport. I love this sport, the one that we're describing. Well, I think you've already got that to an extent. I think you've got a, a strong precedent in, in, I mean, you've not got exactly what you're saying, but a strong precedent in things like FC United and, you know, to some extent, um, Wimbledon going right back down to the to the bottom of the pyramid and coming back up. And what you always have is you have people um, who, who go through that experience actually saying they've really enjoyed it. You know, I mean... Yeah, the trouble, the trouble with that, though, Matt, is that unless you change the structure of football, though, you'll reach a certain level. And, and I'm finding this now with my club, West Brom. We go into the Premier League. And, of course, you always want to progress in football. That's a sensible thing. You want to get promoted. But as soon as you get to that level, you're then entering their world, whether you like it or not. Yes, you you are, but but I think what I'm saying is that it, when you know, as a Blackpool fan, we briefly touched the Premier League, and that's that's another another story, not for today. I certainly enjoy you know League One. A lot of Blackpool fans have have that ambition. Oh, we're getting the Championship, and then that'll that'll be fine. You know, we don't want to get to the rest of the world. But you've 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 almost got those two codes. You've got this this world of kind of non-league football, of, of fan-owned clubs, of, of a game organised in the interests of the supporters. And some of the fans that have, have kind of come out of the Premier League world or been, been thrown into that non-league world or have, have gone there by choice, be it, you know, Wimbledon fans, be it, I don't know, Leeds, Sheffield Wednesday fans who've been sort of thrown down to the lower leagues against their will... A lot of them come out of that and actually say, hey, "I was really enjoyed it. It was it was good." And and you're totally right that we need to do more than that. But there's the kind of that precedent that actually people enjoy it. And I think sometimes people enjoy it even when they think they're not going to enjoy it. You know, they think it's the worst thing that could ever happen is a club like Sheffield Wednesday or Leeds or Wolves or any of these clubs that have gone down. And then you almost always hear when you speak to their fans, actually, I really enjoyed it. You know, I know um, John said it about Borough, being a Borough fan, that actually it, it 
he actually enjoys it much more in the Championship than than in the Premier League, uh, with it all being pointless. Yep. I I wonder if we put this to a vote of everybody who uh, likes football, you put it to the to the customer database, and you said, look, we're gonna we're gonna create two codes here. There's one for the top six, seven richest clubs, and they're going to play in the European Super League, and uh, and it'll be all technology all the time, and uh, there'll be cannons going off with gold glitter in them, and you could, <laughs> and, uh, and and flaming torches on the pitch side. Uh, you can have that, or you can play in uh, the first division, second division, third division, south third division, north. And uh, and we won't have VAR. We won't have all of the dancing girls. You know, it'll all be football based around it being a sport and not an incredible wealth generator for a tiny amount of people. I wonder who well, who would vote. How many would vote for it? I suspect the vast majority would vote for, against having the, uh, the against the elite version of it. I don't think. I think the cl- those clubs fans that would go with it, but I don't think anybody else would. I think. And I think the reason I think that is because there's about attendances. If you add up all the attendances in football, about 20 million attendances watch non-Premier League football and about 14 million watch Premier League. And I think if you hived off, say, 10, 12 of those clubs, that would come down probably to 6 or 7 million watching the Premier League. So, in other words, the interest for non-Premier League football is already well-established. And I think if you gave people an option not to have the big money game with the big money transfers and the £350,000 a week wages, I think most people would opt to have the sane, sensible, rootsy version of the game and not the insane £600,000 a week to play golf side of the game. To come back to Manchester City, we talked about Manchester City a minute ago and I know one Manchester City fan in real life, a, a fella called Stuart, who uh, was a 30-year season ticket holder, you know, stood on the kipax and all of that. And about 18 months ago, he gave up his season ticket because he was so bored. And then I said, well, why, why have you stopped going? And he said, because we don't get games. We get two games a season. You know, when Liverpool come, when Chelsea come, it's it's worth watching. The rest of the time, it's just watching a load of players that we've paid three times more than anybody else steamrolling inferior teams, and it's boring. And I'm I'm sick of it. Well, listen, I'm putting this out there as a manifesto for football. This is the vision. I haven't got a strategy. I don't know how to get there, but I'm sure people will tell us. If you do want to comment, let me know. Goldberg Radio at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Goldberg Radio. John Nicholson is at Johnny the Nick. As I say, this is just an idea, but it means that clubs could opt in. You choose one or you choose the other. I wonder which way you would go. Let us know, as I say. Email goldbergradio at gmail.com. We're going to take a little break for the summer now on when Sky invented football. We'll we'll be back preaching revolution uh, for the next season of football. In the meantime, thanks very much indeed to, to John Nicholson, author of Can We Have Our Football Back? See you soon, John. See you, Adrian. Cheers, man. And thanks very much indeed to Matt Jones from Mitch Cook's Left Foot. Cheers, Matt. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Cheers, and thank you for listening.